Well, welcome back to the Shores Church Online. It's great to be with you today as we prepare to study God's Word together. We're in week two of our series, How Not to Read Your Bible. And we're going to be diving into another topic that builds off of last week. Last week in week one, we talked about the idea of never read a scripture verse. And the idea was we want to make sure that we're always reading uh, full paragraphs, full chapters, even reading things in context of the entire book or letter that we find in the Bible. That when we just read a single verse or two verses, we can pull things out of context and we can make Scripture say something that it was never intended to say. We talked about the importance of reading everything in its proper context. Who wrote the book, why they write it, who they write it to, and what are they hoping to accomplish with this book. And so today we're going to be diving into uh, a little bit more specific with this. We're going to be looking a lot at the Old Testament, particularly in Leviticus, and we're going to be looking at some of the stranger things that we see play out in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible in general. And we're going to be talking about some of the, the different uh, laws that were written and why they were written and what laws are we supposed to follow, what laws are we not supposed to follow. And so a couple of the topics that we're going to be discussing are shrimp, slavery, and the skin of a dead pig. <laughs> you heard that right. Shrimp, slavery, and the skin of a dead pig. But before we dive into those laws and we go any further in this message, would you go ahead and repeat after me? Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. Well, before we uh, dive in, let me just throw this out there as well. I'm so grateful you're taking the time to join us online. If you are following on Facebook, watching on YouTube, or streaming on Spotify, make sure right now that you like or subscribe to this video, to this content, so that you don't miss out on anything in the future. It helps us be able to get the message out to more people. And if you hear this message today and it really connects and resonates with you, would you share it with somebody who needs to hear it as well? That being said, let's jump into our first verse today. Uh, I'm going to read three different verses off the, the top that deal with this idea of shrimp, slavery, and the skin of a dead pig. So let's go ahead and we're going to read Leviticus 11, 9 through 12 together. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Now, according to this passage of scripture, as Christians, as followers of God, we would not be allowed to eat shrimp if you want to follow God. And you'll see people that will throw this out there. Well, God doesn't like shrimp, and God doesn't want people to eat shrimp. And that passage of scripture says so. Remember, we talked about it last week, never read a scripture verse. We want to make sure we understand the context of what is being said. 
Here's the second verse I want you to hear, and this is going to be in Exodus 21, verse 7. Let's read this together. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. Now, according to that verse, you just heard it. You heard what I said, that when a man sells his daughter as a slave, you, we hear that, and that sounds horrible. That sounds like a really bad statement, when a man sells his daughter as a slave. It's easy when we only read a scripture verse to take that as saying that the Bible and ultimately God is saying that slavery is a good thing. Now, here's the third passage of scripture I want you to hear right now. And this is Leviticus 11, 7 through 8. Let's read this one together as well. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and it's cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. And this particular verse tells us that as Christians, we cannot enjoy eating bacon or playing football. And I know, yeah, to, tonight is the Super Bowl if you're watching this on the day that it released or you're listening on the day that it released. And so it's the idea of you can't enjoy bacon and you can't touch a football because it's made of a pigskin or at least it used to be made of a pigskin. Now, before you start questioning the Bible and your faith and wondering what in the world am I believing if I say that I'm a Christian, let me break things down a little bit. Now, there's three different types of laws that we find throughout the Old Testament. We see ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws are things that you need to do in order to be made right with God. This is, I bring an animal to the temple, the priest sacrifices the animal, and that blood of that animal atones for my sins and makes me temporarily right with God. Those are the ceremonial God, uh, laws that show us how we are to worship God Almighty. Then we have moral laws and we have cultural laws. Moral laws are the issues of this is right and this is wrong. A great example of this that I think the vast, vast majority of society would agree with is that murder is wrong. That it doesn't really matter who you are, where you're from, murdering and taking the life of an innocent person is wrong. It easily fits within the category of moral. That we would typically agree that lying would fit that category, that stealing would fit that category. We can put in laws that if it hurts somebody else, and it's not my right to do the thing that I'm doing, it's probably a moral law, and it probably is something that we should avoid doing. Now, cultural laws are laws that were written specifically for a culture, and we use these laws to help us live and move around and be a part of the culture that we're in. Let me give you a great example. Today, we have traffic lights, and the green light means go, and the red light means stop. And if you go on a red light and a police officer sees you, you're going to get a ticket. That's a cultural law. It doesn't hold a moral obligation to anything, but it's a cultural law of how we are to function within our society. Now, if I gave a red light, green light law to the Israelites in biblical times, they would have no idea or understanding because they didn't have the road structure, they didn't have the vehicles, that anything that they were riding didn't have the same speed capacity that we have today that we need this law, they didn't need this law. And this is gonna be the one of the things that we have to work with and understand in light of scripture and the law that we see in the Old Testament. Is some of these laws apply to us today, the moral laws, because they are still true. It still is wrong to kill somebody, whether today or in biblical times. But some of the things that we're gonna see, the topic of shrimp or touching the skin of a dead pig, or anything else that we would see come out of the Old Testament, that some of these are cultural that 
we no longer need to do them because that law wasn't written to us. And one of the things that we get into big problems with is trying to decide what is moral and what is cultural. You see, some people will lump things that are cultural laws into the moral law, and some people will take what's moral and throw it into the cultural so that they don't have to follow the thing that they want to follow. One of the, the best ways of trying to figure this out is if the law existed before the law, in the law, and it still exists and is written about in the New Testament after the law, then it's probably something that we need to follow and that we need to listen to and we need to treat with seriousness. Now, let me give you a couple more examples along this cultural because I want you to really understand this concept. I want you to hear this, that in Arizona, it is illegal for your donkey to sleep in a bathtub. Hear that? In Arizona, it is illegal for your donkey to sleep in a bathtub. And in Kentucky, it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Now, those both sound like ridiculous laws. Like, why in the world would I ever put an ice cream cone in my back pocket? And why would I have a donkey, let alone let my donkey sleep in a bathtub? Now, we can look at some of the Old Testament laws and say, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. And we can make a big deal about that. But when we look at these laws, for example, the Arizona law about the donkey in the bathtub was written in 1924, less than 100 years ago. Yet we hear that and we think, this is a crazy law. This doesn't apply to my society. This doesn't apply to my culture. Why is this still on the books? That if you go to Arizona, you put a donkey in a bathtub, they technically could, um, you could get in trouble. But here's what happened. And when you hear what happened, it makes sense to why this is an illegal thing. In Arizona, a rancher let his donkey sleep in an abandoned bathtub. I know that sounds ridiculous, but let his donkey sleep in an abandoned uh, bathtub. A local dam broke, and then it swept the bathtub and the donkey into this big water basin. That the local authorities were called in, and it took a lot of people, a lot of resources, a lot of money to rescue this donkey and this bathtub. It was not easy, it was not cheap, and so afterwards they made a law saying that you cannot let your donkey sleep in a bathtub to try and stop this exact same scenario from happening again. Now, the ice cream cone was another interesting one because I think that if I put an ice cream cone in my back pocket, I'm wasting the ice cream cone and I'm giving myself a sticky back pocket. But there's a reason why this was happening. You see, people were putting an ice cream cone in their back pocket and walking near horses. Horses like sweet things. The horse would begin licking the ice cream cone in the back pocket of that individual. They would keep walking and the horse would keep following them. And it was a way of stealing horses from other people. So in the effort to stop horse theft, a law went on the books in Kentucky that you were not allowed to put an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Like I said, those sound crazy. And especially in light of our culture, where most of us don't interact with horses on a regular basis, it feels weird that that one would be on the books. Most of us don't interact with donkeys on a regular basis, so it feels weird that that one would be on the books. So when we look at Old Testament laws, we have to realize some are ceremonial. We don't follow those because Jesus fulfilled the reason why we were doing those laws. Some of them are moral, and we need to follow those because it's right and wrong. And then some of them are cultural, and we need to follow through with uh, the cultural laws that are in, thrown in our direction, but most of them are laws that were put in place for the Israelites and they no longer apply to us. And the Bible then 
uh, whether it strikes them down, not contradicts, but strikes them down. And I want to give you an example of that in just a moment. Uh, but I want you to hear this too. These laws were primarily being written from God through Moses to the Israelites who had just spent 400 years in captivity, were just released from Egypt, and were about to encounter even more uh, people groups and different belief structures. And so God was in an interest of trying to set them apart from everybody else. He was trying to show them that, yeah, I know you just experienced 400 years of these Egyptian gods. I'm the Lord God Almighty who created the universe, and you are my people, and I want to set you apart. And so I want to set you apart from the Egyptians from where you came, but I want to also protect you from those who would surround you. So that's why they had the cultural laws. Now, I'll say this, that if you follow the cultural laws, it's not a bad thing for you. In fact, if you follow a lot of them, especially the dietary ones, you probably honestly will live a healthier lifestyle, but they're not required of us because it was being written on behalf of the Israelites. Now, I want you to hear the first topic today. We're going to lump the shrimp with the skin of a dead pig, with a football. Can I, as a Christian, enjoy shrimp and football? And let's dive into this topic today. What does it say? What's it dealing with? Well, Leviticus in the Old Testament law said that they could not eat shrimp, they could not eat shellfish, they couldn't eat scavenger birds, they couldn't eat pork, they couldn't eat insects, they couldn't eat other some other animals. And I listened to that list, I'm like, I'm okay. I don't need to eat a scavenger bird. I don't need to eat an insect. I don't need to eat shellfish. Uh, for me personally, I know some of you are like, I, I love my lobster. I love my crab. That, that's good for you. I'm okay with a lot of that. I like my bacon. I like, I like pork. But uh, when I hear that list, most of it doesn't really intrigue me. But why were they not to eat these things? Really, there's two reasons why. They were living in a pre-scientific era that there was not the technology that we have today to preserve items, to prepare these foods and actually kill all the bacteria that was in these foods. And so by not eating them, they were actually becoming healthier individuals because they didn't have the ability to, uh, to prepare them safely, to store them safely. And ultimately, there are a lot of food that's not the best food options for us. And because there wasn't modern medicine and there wasn't modern doctors the way we have it today, that it was a way of preventing them from getting things like heart disease that we see so prevailing today that we can treat with medicine, but they couldn't treat with medicine. And ultimately, here's something else that I want you to, to think about as well. In the New Testament, after Jesus ascends back into heaven, that he sends down the helper, he sends down the Holy Spirit, that Jesus says that when the helper comes, you'll be able to do the things that I'm doing and even greater, meaning even more of these things. And so in this season, there is only a handful of people that spoke on behalf of God. So this idea of I can go lay my hands on somebody and pray for them wasn't in the equation yet. So that's the kind of reason one is that pre-scientific era, that it wasn't really healthy for them to eat these things. But number two was an intentional way of setting themselves apart from the people around them that we, we take intentional steps to show that I'm on team Jesus and that I'm going to follow after him. But think about this in your everyday life. There's things that you like and that you care for, whether it's a sport team, whether it's a movie franchise, whether it's a favorite musician, whether a favorite band, whatever it may be that you have shirts of theirs, you may have posters of theirs, you might have action figures if it's a, a superhero. There, there's different things that you have that show that I'm a part of this fan base, 
that I want to follow after this. And ultimately, this is what God's kind of doing here, is he's wanting them to be separated. He wants there to be a clear distinction between the Israelites and everybody else who surrounds them to show that these are my people. I'm marking them a particular way. I'm asking them to not eat something. Realizing the fact that he needs to maintain a bloodline from this moment all the way until Jesus comes so that Jesus can fulfill all the prophecy that God is protecting this bloodline and at the same time providing the way for Jesus to come to be able to set us free. Now, here's something I, I want you to hear as well. This comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. So let's go ahead and we're going to read this together right now. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, Acts 10 goes on to share how this is kind of a starting moment for Peter in sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. You see, up until this moment, the gospel was all about, and really just this, this people group of the Israelites, of God dealing with his chosen people. But now all of a sudden, everybody else is getting grafted into the family of God. That there is room now for the Gentiles because Jesus didn't just come for the Israelites. He came for all people. And because of this, there is no longer this requirement, this cultural need to be separated from everybody else because God's not requiring everybody else to follow all of the rules that he gave to the Israelites. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then all of a sudden that we love our neighbor and we love our, our God, we're good. We're following the commandments that we're supposed to follow. And this is the thing that we need to realize is that in this moment, Peter has never ate of any of these animals before, but now all of a sudden he's getting this vision where the, this big cloth with all these animals are coming down and God says, go ahead and eat and take because there's no longer this boundary between you and them, that we're no longer this team versus that team, but we're all in this together. This is kind of that prime example of culturally why we don't need to follow these Old Testament laws that are cultural laws. Now, again, it doesn't hurt you if you choose to follow them, but we can't force other people to follow these laws. And we see it play out all throughout the New Testament where individuals were trying to force new believers to follow these laws. And the apostles were saying like, no, you don't need to follow that. Here's what you need to do. You need to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. And that we need to follow those commandments and we need to seek and save the lost that we need to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we get so caught up on the Old Testament cultural laws that were written for a specific group of people at a specific moment in history so that they could get what they needed. And we mix up cultural with moral, that we don't need to elevate eating pork into this person's a murderer. Those are not comparable things. We no longer need to do some of these cultural laws. And so even when it comes to football, that yes, I, I mean, I don't think it's made of a, a pigskin anymore, but 
uh, that kind of imagery of a football being uh, made from a, a pigskin that when you watch the Super Bowl, feel free to eat of uh, shrimp cocktail and uh, watching a bunch of guys throw around a pigskin because that is not an issue in order for you to follow after Christ. One of the issues that does happen with the book of Leviticus, though, and let me challenge you with this in your reading, in your study, is some of these laws kind of go back and forth, where the, here's a cultural, here's a moral law. And so when somebody questions you on this, and we could spend multiple weeks breaking down all these different moral laws and cultural laws, you need to look at it and say, what type of law is this? Why is it there? What is it trying to accomplish? And in the process of this, let me have grace on people who may not be fully following it, but allow the Holy Spirit to convict them and lead them to repentance. That being said, let's deal with the third uh, verse that I brought up that is a little bit more awkward and a little bit more uncomfortable. So let's talk about slavery in the Bible. Slavery in the Bible. People will criticize the Bible because it shows that God doesn't like shrimp, but apparently God likes slavery because God doesn't just flat out outlaw slavery. That you see slavery in the Old Testament, you see slavery in the New Testament, and that because God doesn't outlaw slavery, but he outlaws shrimp, that God doesn't like shrimp, but he likes slavery. You'll see people when they read just a scripture verse and they remove it from its context and they don't study it and they don't dive into who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they wrote it to, and what's the purpose of the text, that you can jump to some crazy conclusions when you just kind of cherry pick a verse out and just say, this is what this verse says. And so what I want to do is we're going to dive into a, a couple passages. Uh, first off, let me just kind of reference Exodus 21 again that we read this earlier in this message about when a father would sell his daughter into slavery. It doesn't really sit well. It doesn't really jive uh, well with us because that feels uncomfortable. That doesn't feel right. And a big part is, remember the, the phrase I keep using in this series, that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. There is a significant difference than how we operate a lot of times, is that when we think the Bible was written to us, then we take our modern lens and apply it to the scripture. But in reality, it was written to an audience thousands of years ago. So we have to pick up their point of view, their perspective, and read what it is so that we can pull out of the text what uh, applies to us today. And so we have to have the proper vantage point and study on scripture so we understand what's being said and happening. That when we look at Ephesians 6, 5, this is what Ephesians 6, 5 says. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And now when we look at Titus 2.9, this is what Titus 2.9 says. Urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be pleasing, not argumentative. Here's the thing. When we pull out scripture verses, we see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it looks as if the Bible is saying slavery is not a bad thing. But what we need to realize is that when these books were written, when these letters were written, they were being written to a different audience. They were being written to a non-American audience. And that when we look at our world today and some of the issues and conflicts we've had in the last couple hundred years, the thing that plays out is there was a horrible act of slavery that happened. There was a horrible moment of slave trade that happened where people were kidnapped and sold into slavery to do physical uh, manual work in that slavery is evil and slavery is wrong. So please hear that. 
but when you hear slavery and how it's translated sometimes as servanthood or a bond servant uh, throughout scriptures, that's not what is being referenced in the Bible. What we've experienced in the last couple hundred years in our world, and even today when we have human trafficking that's happening, which is modern day slavery, that when we talk about those things, that's not what's being talked about in the Bible. And I want you to understand this because first and foremost, this idea of kidnapping and putting somebody into servitude, putting someone into slavery is something that God was not for. In Exodus 21, 16, it says, Now one who kidnaps someone, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall certainly be put to death. And when we look in the New Testament, it says in 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, that realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and worldly, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, homosexuals, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So when we hear that list, when we hear the passage from Exodus, we realize the fact that God is not for the kidnapping. God is not for the slave trade that's happening. That's not what is, the Bible is communicating. And people twist scripture to make it look like the Bible is for it or that the Bible allows it. And that is definitely not the case. You see, when we go back all the way to Genesis, we see Adam and Eve made in perfect harmony, working together on the same level. We're going to get to this and uh, I believe it's next week, but we're going to be talking about women's role in the Bible and is the Bible anti-women. And we're going to be talking about this issue, but this idea of the patriarchy comes into play after the fall. This idea of slavery comes into the effect after the fall. And that we're dealing with a world that is completely dramatically different than today is. When you look at our world today, we see the, the fact that we can communicate with someone on the other side of the planet in a moment. We see the fact that I can pull out my phone and I can have a conversation with someone on the other side of the planet. I can uh, ask for a car to come and pick me up at whatever door I am. I can order food and have that food delivered to wherever I am. There's so many different ways that we can operate and so many different jobs that we can have and things that we can do. That's not the case back in this time period. In this time period, the wealth differences in the economy were drastically different. That it is uh, kind of projected that 30% of individuals in the New Testament in this time period of Jesus were slaves, some of which were doctors or lawyers or they're individuals that were going to school but also operating as a slave. That the Bible kind of goes through this and, and breaks it down. I, I used Exodus 21.7 earlier that this idea that the father is selling his daughter into slavery, it sounds wicked, it feels wicked, it feels bad, it makes us not feel good. But the thing that we need to realize is that the Bible's not encouraging it, that the man commits original sin, man fails, man falls, evil enters the world, uh, pride enters the world, trying to get ahead of everybody else enters the world. All these emotions come into play, and that slavery is one of those byproducts that happens from it. And so it's unregulated. There's no rules on it. So God's first action is to put regulations on it. He is trying to say, well, if you do this, you need to protect the people. That there is stipulations of how somebody can get out of slavery and how long they can serve in slavery for. That when we look at this concept of the daughter being sold into slavery, when we look at its full context, it's saying that she cannot be sold as a prostitute or for physical pleasure 
that she cannot be treated as a piece of property, that she must be treated as a family member, that if there's a family member where it is appropriate, that she is to be married to them. And if that she is not married to somebody, that she has to be eventually released at a certain time, that God is putting in the place rules to protect these people. It sounds crazy to us because this is not the world we live in. This is not how we feel. And we can look back on our past as Americans, particularly, and say we have a horrible uh, tragedy that happened in our nation with slavery. That it was bad. It should have never happened. But that's not what the Bible is dealing with here. That God is looking at it as a way of saying, you know what? I don't like this. I want humanity back in a perfect balance and a perfect harmony again. And my goal is to get it there. But in the meantime, if there's people that need to provide for their families, if there's people who need money, if they need food, if this is a way for them to pay off debts, I'll allow a system to pay off debts or to pull someone out of poverty, but you're not going to abuse those people. Now, of course, are there people who don't follow the system properly? Absolutely. No, no matter what the rules are, there's going to be people who don't follow the system properly. But the thing that I really want to encourage you with is this, is operate in the knowing and the knowledge that when you see issues like this happening, that this is God trying to move the ball down the field. He's trying to get into the end zone. And I can't do it all in one big play, but I'm going to chunk down the field. And how do I ultimately know this? Because there is a letter to Philemon that's from Paul. And in this letter, this is what it says. For perhaps it was for this reason that he, being Onesimus, was separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You see, here's the thing I want you to realize, is that first, God puts regulations on something that was already happening to protect people. But by the end of the Bible, God is pushing even those that are Christians that are justified by the, the rules of the day of having slaves to move from them being a slave or seeking consequences against Onesimus to accept him as a brother in Christ. So you see this momentum where God is pushing in this direction because we're going to make it to heaven and this will not be a thing that we need to deal with one day. That this will be completely removed. But when we look at the Old Testament, when we study God's word, it goes back to last week's concept and it gets pulled into this week. Never read a scripture verse. Read a paragraph. Read a chapter. Read a book. Read a letter. Take time to study this so that you understand what it says. Go through, and if you are a highlighter that, and you already highlight different things in your Bible, pick a color to highlight the things that sound weird, the things that you don't understand, so that you can take them in and you can understand them and you can see what God is trying to accomplish. That you can ask yourself the tough questions. You can go and find somebody who can help you understand the tough questions. And that when we look at this Old Testament law, it feels weird. But know that there's cultural, moral, and ceremonial. The ceremonial laws are fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The moral laws still exist. And the cultural laws are the ones that we can allow to, to slip away. But there is that difference. Is this law cultural or is this moral? And you're going to have to take time to study some of those and really dive in. Is, is this moral or is this cultural? The, the best way I can always give you that idea, and I said it earlier, is if it existed before the law, if it exists after the law, chances are it's probably a moral law and we're not supposed to do that. A good example of that 
is just the, the idea and the notion of, um, of marriage that we see in the garden that you have man and woman and that they should each leave their parents to become one flesh. We see marriage laws and, and laws put in place throughout the, uh, the book of Leviticus of this is what a proper relationship is to look like. And then you see Jesus back up the marriage between man and a woman. You see Paul right on this topic as well. You see this is that a, one man should be married to one woman and that's, that's lined up. We see that we're not supposed to murder before the law, Cain and Abel, in the law, and then after the law. And in fact, Jesus takes it to the spot of if you are angry with your neighbor, you've committed murder in your heart, in your mind. And so you see these things that continue to get mentioned before, in, and after the law. Those are moral, and we definitely need to follow those to, the, to this day. It feels difficult. It feels like a struggle. And I can tell you with all certainty that it is at times. But when people will pose certain passages, you need to understand it. Is why are we not supposed to mix fabrics together? Why does the Bible tell us to not boil a goat in its mother's milk? That there's all these different topics that come up and we could we could fill multiple messages trying to break all of these down and we just don't have time for it. But let me just encourage you with this is that there is always a biblical answer to why it exists. Go and study and seek those answers for yourself. And don't look at it as, well, the Bible's out of date. No, the Bible was written to somebody else, but it was written for us so that we could extrapolate from it that which we need in order to follow after God. Today, I want to pray for you as we go to close. And I want to pray that a similar kind of concept that I've been praying several weeks over you is that I want you to become passionate about studying God's word. You see, it's easy to say, like, I'm a Christian that I've got a Bible, I'll read it occasionally, but I want you to be passionate about studying God's Word, not just doing it as something to check the list off, that, hey, I did this today, but that you're passionately seeking to understand what God's Word is saying so that you can grow in your faith and you can answer the tough questions for people. That we're not going to be individuals that cherry-pick verses that make a theology sound like what we want it to be, but we're going to preach what God's Word says in its entirety, the full Bible, so that we can help people meet Jesus. So let me go ahead and pray for you today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every individual that has taken time to listen or watch to this message. Lord, I pray that you would bring clarity to our minds, that as we study even some of these other laws that we would find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers that feel weird and feel out of touch and feel out of place, that you would help us when we read those to have an understanding of what what the, the law was and why the law was there and how we can move forward from it. You would help us to be able to easily determine whether it's a moral law or it's a cultural law so we know what we are to follow, what we are not to follow, and that we would have a passionate uh, desire to follow in your ways. Lord, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for this time with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go, we're going to say the Great Commission uh, but let me just encourage you again that if this message jumped out at you at all, make sure you share this with somebody who needs to hear it. If you're following on Facebook, watching on YouTube, or streaming on Spotify, make sure you like, subscribe, so that you don't miss out on any content coming out in the future from the Shores Church. And would you say the Great Commission with me today as I close? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have a blessed day. Thanks for taking time to be with us, and I will see you in the next one.